So hi, Aryan. Uh, are you still with Payaras or you moved to Piranha? So what's the state of it, of the union uh, right now? <laughs> yeah, so I left uh, Piara last uh, summer. Okay. And I'm now working as an independent uh, contractor. Ah, and... I didn't knew that. So I thought you're still working with uh, with Payara. And um, but... uh, no, no. Like after uh, like three years, two and a half years, I uh, moved on. Uh -huh. I'm still like really uh, friendly with the guys, and um, but yeah, sometimes it's just time to uh, to move on. I wanted to do some independent things. Yeah, very um, good. So you're a right freelancer like me, right? Uh yeah, yeah. So at the moment, I'm just doing um, separate uh, contracting jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, so a few local here, uh, just working on websites, working with. Uh, JSF again in practice, so that's kind of nice as well. Um, so for me, working all the time with the internals of the server is, is quite interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but I also felt that um, at some point you lose touch with uh, what's actually needed in terms of functionality. So I also like to be involved with actual application development. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons and I, like I said I like to be involved with the actual um, practical things so I know what to feed back into uh, the specs into the uh, libraries etc this is actually uh, also my observation so um, if I talk with the uh, even at the sun times you know with the uh, glassfish guys or the whitefly or whatever so I, I came from the project perspective and they come from the uh, the runtime perspective, and uh, and my my impression was always that they try to micro optimize the server, so which is of course the most important thing. And for me, it was more important to have productive and nice holistic view of the whole thing. So and uh, so we not always understood each other. This was also also funny because uh, usually you know uh, people think I'm uh, like a Java E or or Jakarta E fanboy, which is. Uh, Partially true because of the productivity, but uh, from the application server uh, perspective, I was more like you know the uh, monolithic mindset, and the uh, application server vendors had you know the the uh, modules, modularity, uh, micro modules, OSGI dynamic you know um, opinion of the servers, or the, the goals were completely different, which was actually funny, because usually you would expect that someone from outside you know would like to uh, modular and uh, uh, pay for what you use, you know, uh, 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 runtime, and the the server providers would try, you know, to to ship everything at once as a monolithic blob, which which was actually not true at all, right? In my case, yeah, it's actually quite the other way around. Uh, but yeah, the same thing as an application developer. I just like to have the entire API available for me uh, when I need it, and yeah, we don't care that much for modularity and for uh, having separate uh, slices of the server available really. Um, whether it's like 40 megabytes deployed on a server or 50 or 60 or 80 in, in practice, it doesn't matter that much. Um, yeah, absolutely. So this is uh, amazing that you're saying this. So I remember so you are a Payara and Glassfish guy, so you know the internals. Um, you actually know how big the EGB container is. This is the the whole entire OSGI bundle is was at least in Glassfish v3 frame, like uh, one meg or 680 kilobytes. Was I remember? And we had the projects where uh, people ask me, you know, 
can we just remove the Java server faces uh, because we just have the you know the backend services and make the application server leaner? So okay, yeah, you could, but I don't think we will you know save a lot. And uh, this was yeah, and it, it was almost not recognizable. So and um, you you know probably also John Klingen. So it was on the podcast. So we are on 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 the on the conferences. So we had a chat and John was like, "What is your opinion now about memory consumption?" I was like, "Yeah, I have to say, I know for me is the productive productivity compatibility is paramount, and uh, and and not for me for my clients and me. And uh, if we save something, great. But it's not like you know we have to save a lot. And if we have to save a lot, we have a complete different problem. Like we have." So many services, and my clients have, you know, major problems with memory, which are not solvable by optimizing twenty percent or something like this, right? Yeah, indeed. So it's after that quite um, beneficial to move something as to remove something as small as Java server faces from the server. Uh, in some cases, it could be beneficial to uh, deactivate a major subsystem like uh, JMS in Wildfly if you disable that you do save something um but also it's it's not that much really uh, yeah, yeah exactly most... because if you start whitefly or payara as actually payara i measured yesterday a java user group uh, meeting and i just connected with uh visual vm and deployed a um, micro profile service and the overhead was uh, around 60 megs so if you would connect with JVisual vm and you know hit the garbage collector you will see you will consume around 64 megabyte so you can only save that and uh, from outside it looks like it consumes half a gig and the reason was no the settings minus xmx so this is why it appears so big but you can tune it a little bit so from the 60 meg even if you know save 50 percent so uh, then we are at around 30 megs and this couldn't be a problem so if we have a problem is this the entire jvm right so so okay if we just get rid of the entire jvm and go you know towards assembler c or go this uh, but this is a completely different discussion so okay now uh, sure we can do this but i don't think we will be as productive as we are with jakarta java in microprofile right yeah true and even things like c plus plus um see if you do get into uh, long-running server processes. Um, the speed difference is not always that much. It's often does optimize when it runs uh, longer and harder. Yeah. But then it doesn't matter that much still. What uh, we had it already. So we were in the C++ and, and C space already, and we moved to Java because uh, it was really hard to maintain the old C and C++ application. And uh, the history just I repeats. I have actually been a C++ developer for quite some time before I moved into Java. Yeah, so. I was also a C++ developer, but not a commercial one. So I spent a lot of time of C++, I'm a huge fanboy of C++. And then uh, then I, 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 I discovered Java and then spent uh, the entire time with Java by accident. But actually, I started with C++. And what we should actually invent, you know, this should be with cooperation with all the uh, conference vendors is... Like, you know, just uh, if someone mentions now, you know, Java is big, C and C++, just immediately show, you know, 10 talks from 10 years ago, which said, okay, we had to move to C to, to Java from C++ because uh, 
because of this, of this, of this. Or uh, five years ago, where we had talked like, you know, Java is so fast like a system language and we don't need the speed and it doesn't have to be efficient. We need more productivity. Therefore, you know, Groovy, Grails and Scala and whatever are okay. So um, and now no, everything is forgotten and this is another circle. And um, and the problem a little bit is, you know, in the projects, they, they listen to the talks we deliver. They're a little bit confused as well. So, okay, what's going on there? We don't have the problem. Should we move or not? And there's a little bit of confusion going on, right? Yeah, true. And it's funny that you mentioned the circle things. Like a lot, lot of things uh, do move in circles, um, do move in cycles. Like in one generation, like everything needs to be on the server. The other generation, things on the client. Um, one generation, it's basically your, the databases are like NoSQL. Then there comes SQLs. These people want more structure. Then the structure becomes too much and they want uh, less structure. So they move to a NoSQL thing. And it just moves in circles, basically. Yeah. And uh, uh, for instance, uh, so I do a little bit Corcus right now uh, in some projects, and people ask me, no, can you show us Corcus? So, so what, what I do. But Corcus is, uh, is uh, the, if you start with Corcus, um, you just say, you know, uh, create, and it will create you a basic application with CDI and, uh, and JAXORIS, basically. And uh, then I already know what I need. So uh, I already add, you know, five to ten, ten extensions because I need them all the time and they have something comparable to Payara then. But uh, but I do it over and over again. So I already created my own archetype and I think about create an extension because I'm just too lazy, you know, to adding all the stuff over and over again. And uh, the for from the Quarkus uh, runtime developer perspective, this is the, the right thing to do because they think, you know, there are some projects which just need, you know, JAXORES or just need CDI or just need whatever, which might be true. But in my world, I, I in 80% of all cases, I, I actually always need JAXORES, CDI, then, uh, then uh, all actually basically mostly more, all micro profile uh, specs um, because, uh, yeah, because you need matrix, you need, you need health checks and uh, fault torrents uh, could, be, could be nice. And uh, probably we could talk about whether you always need transactions because if you don't have... Uh, something transactional, you can skip that. But um, yeah, but and, and and what I did, I added all the extensions, and it still starts fast. It's not like you know every extension comes with huge overhead. It's just probably a little bit sl uh, slower. But from my perspective, developer productivity is paramount, and runtime, you know, efficiency is uh, somehow interesting, but not the most important thing, except for marketing, of course, right? Yeah, indeed, and for actual real world applications, you, you, you do tend to use almost everything from uh, the full platform. Like um, people always say, well, Java EE, Jakarta EE now is so big, you don't need everything. Uh, but quite often we, um, for any non-trivial application, we did tend to use almost everything. Uh, like you built a uh, typical web application, so you use uh, JSF. Then you want some web validation, so you have B validation. Of course, you need to save the stuff to a database, so you use JPA. Um, JPA actually does use uh, transactions, so even if you have just a single uh, data source, you still want um, multiple uh, writes to the database to be transactional. Mm -hmm. So you do tend to use uh, transactions then. Uh, you use CDI, of course. Um, in our case, we often use ETB as well, because a lot of services are still not available as separate uh, CDI services. So 
basically just by building your application, by doing all the regular stuff that it needs to do, uh, you do tend to touch an almost entire API surface of Java EE. Yeah. And moving to something smaller, it wasn't like really feasible because we just used things of everything. Yeah, and uh, I have experience now with in Greenfield projects, so where they they just started, so like uh, startups, and uh, they also use a lot. So we could probably optimize some things. For instance, in some startups we don't use JSF, so we have just REST and uh, web components in, in the front end. But most of the startups are using JSF for back office applications, like you know, CRUD managing is just great. It's for productivity, is is really really good. And uh, so we need something there. And uh, and also funny is uh, if I tell startups, you no, know, we can optimize uh, if we move, you know, just to to, to 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 telling them in advance. So there is something like Helidon or Quarkus. So if you like, we can look at this. And they are absolutely not interested because they say, I don't care. The server starts very quick. They are really happy what what they have. So this is actually funny, right? And recently, I was in a in a, in, a, in a larger company and in a workshop, and all. It is actually, uh, we use Payara, and all the Payaras booted really slow. And on my machine, it was very fast. And there was another uh, external guy, and uh, I asked him, how fast is your machine? So it was similar to yours. And then he did some investigation. It turned out, you know, the fault was the virus scanner. <laughs> so the virus scanner oh, scans the whole thing twice, which uh, Hello World deployed in 10 seconds on Payara, which was way too slow. I said, look, if, if something would deploy 10 seconds, on, I, will, I would never use Java. So forget it. I mean, this was for me unusable technology, right? And this is also, you know, uh, if you have such an environment, you could use whatever you like. And it, it is not going to be faster, except, you know, your virus scanner once, kept, once can, you know, uh, Node.js uh, files, for instance, this is a different story. But this is a setup of your of your of your developer machine, and not you know fault of the runtime. Right. So was that uh, Payara Micro then? No, it was Payara Full. So we use Payara okay. Full, and uh, but the virus scanner not only scanned the Payara Full, it also scanned the JVM, which loaded the classes. You know, there was double scanning, which is crazy. So we saw actually yeah, yeah. How, how JVM, you know, loaded the whole the stuff and it was very, very slow. So I don't, don't think, that, you know, Piara Micro would solve the problem there. And I, I mean, the no, problem, so yeah. Like Piara Micro might even make it worse in that situation because Piara Micro uh, first unpacks uh, jar files to slash temp mm-hmm. um, or the equivalent on Windows. And ah, okay. that might trigger extra uh, scanning for the fire scanner. Yeah, funny you said that because uh, they thought about you know introducing Pyara Micro. Like, uh, for me, Pyara Full is great, and Pyara Micro just repackaged Pyara Full without uh, OSGI. This is not a lot of difference from my perspective. I hope this is still correct. And uh, yeah, yeah, so at the moment that's still uh, correct. So uh, we were moving to making Pyara Micro a more separate project. Okay. And at the moment, it's essentially Pyara Surfer and then uh, repackaged, indeed. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. So what I would actually wanted to ask you about, because uh, I think you are behind uh, Piranha Cloud, right? Yes, yes, that's true. And I saw this on Twitter. It's like, what, this looks nice. What is it? So now the question is, what is Piranha Cloud? And, and how, how you get there? And what is your idea and what it is? So. Okay, so uh, Piranha Cloud is essentially a, a Java EE runtime. Mm-hmm. Um, but reimagined a little. So the idea is that um, 
the most Java EE implementations are like Java application servers. Mm -hmm. So meaning you have like an installed server, you have um, an HTTP connectors, you have uh, deployment mechanisms, you have the ability to run multiple applications. There's all kinds of uh, management stuff going on, which is handy if you need it. Uh, but if you don't need it, if you just want to run your Java EE uh, libraries, then basically what you need is not an entire application server, but you want like a runtime. Mm -hmm. uh, so initially the idea came forth from um, uh, just wanting to run the uh, Mojara jars. Mm -hmm. So it was used as a, um, a unit test framework of sorts. Mm -hmm. So you could immediately feed an HTTP request, say, into uh, the, the, the library without having an HTTP um, server running, without having like a real connection going through a socket, uh, only to go to a local host and feedback into the same process where the uh, request originated from. So the idea, like I said, was to have like a unit framework test kind of thing. But then having a real server, so having a real embedded server, but without all the overhead. Um, so then it essentially became more like a runtime instead of a server. Mm -hmm. um, and that's also where the name uh, Piranha derives from. Mm -hmm. um, it's like from the old, um, old tale, basically, that a, a piranha could like strip a, a cow to its skeleton in like a few seconds. And that was the idea we are stripping an application server to its most minimal uh, skeleton. And that's uh, where the name Piranha comes from. Do you know actually the Piranha movie? Like um, killer piranhas or something. I saw this as a teenager, I remember. I remember it, yeah. So I. There was like, like a, a, yeah, there was like a secret facility with piranhas, and they, they 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 went swimming, and then they per accident opened the gates, and then the piranhas moved to a, to a river or something like this. I I remember that one vaguely. Yeah. Yeah. You see, so this is uh yeah. So the also history repeats, right? Yeah. So <laughs> right now you are just you know the secret facility without opening the gates, or the gates are not open right now. So, but um, and uh, what server is used as a basis? Is it Payara server or what is it? What you are using? I uh, know it's completely from scratch. So um, the uh, the core, so to speak, like is a new servlet container. Uh, the servlet container is completely developed uh, from scratch. And uh, so, so you so you develop from scratch uh, a servlet container. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, cool. that's true. Yeah, so that's, I think it hasn't been done for quite some time. So all the existing servlet containers, uh, Tomcat, Jetty, Undertow, um, are relatively, uh, or have been on the market for a relatively long time, mm -hmm. uh, especially like the ones in uh, AppSphere. Those are really um, old. Um, yeah, so we uh, basically try to do that from scratch. Uh, it's still a lot of work. So we're uh, running the TCK against it at the moment uh, in the Java EE 7 samples project. Uh, so we're slowly getting to be more compatible. Um, 
It's but, of course in the lot of workshops, not not yet fully uh, compliant. But this is actually a great opportunity to contribute, right? So if someone listener would like, you know, to rerun the tests, find some bugs, is actually a, a perfect point to help you out. Is it possible? Um, yeah, indeed. So um, the project is of course open for mm -hmm. contributions. Uh, so it's still quite young. It's um, like the entire project is a unit test thing is a bit older so that's approaching two and a half years wow something like that. so was it a so, secret project or Whoa. yeah it was almost like a secret but not secret as in secret just secret in the sense that it was just used privately mm -hmm. uh privately as a, as a unit test uh, thing mm -hmm. and then at some point we thought well let's put a little bit more energy into this and make it a full Compliant runtime, uh, compliant with uh, Jakarta EE, uh, compliant with MicroProfile. And that's where the real push started. This was like a couple of months ago. And then um, we basically uh, moved into making it more compatible with uh, Surflets and then just the small, the few small things we needed to run the uh, Mahara jars, but just making it to an entire a compliance servlet container. And uh, we did some implementations of uh, things that are not available in separate components. So for instance, uh, JASPIC and JAC, which are now called Jakarta Authentication and Jakarta Authorization. Uh, we did separate implementations of the those. Um, and then on top of that, we run the existing uh, Soteria uh, library. Mm -hmm. That one is available as a separate component. And then it basically already passes a lot of uh, the tests that we have for uh, those things. So it essentially passes all the Soteria tests. It passes a lot of the uh, servlet samples. So it's, it's slowly getting uh, more compatible. And it's also quite cool that in the sense of the security stuff, uh, it's essentially the entire <coughs> stack is our own code since Soteria uh, was uh, mostly my own code and not everything, but mostly uh, the two uh, security libraries, uh, we call them Elias. And those ones are our own code and the Sidotorflet things are own code. So that the entire vertical stack is then our own code, which is quite nice for people. Yeah, this is remarkable, and uh, you are actually the uh, the one of the um, spec leads from uh, Java Eight, right? Security. Uh, yeah, yeah. At security, and uh, you are also a heavy JSF guy, right? OmniFaces. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, no, no, just for the listeners because they think, okay, uh, who is you know that crazy and creates a servlet engine from scratch? It's like, yeah, some uh, Java Eight spec lead could be successful with that. So, um, what interests me with that is. Why you need servlets at all? Because you could run, you could even run JSF without servlets, right? So you can actually, you could run JSF without servlets, I think. And you could also. Uh, no, no, you can't. Like, really? Uh, because these servlets, I remember, uh, the, there was always the idea that you can run it uh, in, in a portlet environment, right? Something like this, because uh, there's always the interaction with these faces context, right? Yeah, so I just wanted to mention that indeed. Um, so technically, indeed, it's uh, portlets or servlets, mm -hmm. and the entire spec mentions those uh, two so you get like a request and it's 
either servlet or it's a portlet. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, true. The other option could have been a portlet, um, but that's even a more um, unknown technology to us. So we went for servlet in this case. Um, no, no, sure. This like- is this a reasonable decision. They're just thinking about whether it would be possible to run GSF without servlets. Because the phaser yeah, servlet so is not is not not prescribed, right? Uh, phaser servlet is an in that one is a requirement, but it's it, it's modified for portlets. Although I do have to admit, I'm not entirely sure about the portlet case if it runs the servlet, the phaser servlet. Yeah, because uh, uh, it would be interesting, no, to have a fresh. But regardless, it's interesting enough. So you started with servlets because. Why you need these servlets? Because you wanted to run your. So I assume uh, JaxOS and so forth would will also be based on servlets. Then in your case, right? Uh, yeah. So in our case, that's uh, just the jersey. So all the implementation components for the uh, specs mm-hmm. that are available separate, uh, we just use them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's um, things like jersey, Ethereum, uh, Mahara, what have you. All those things we of course don't re-implement from scratch, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, you need um, some HTTP uh, library thing to run them. Mm-hmm. Um, so in case of uh, JaxRS, uh, that one is completely independent of servlet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can essentially use uh, whatever stack below it. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's a lot of details that are not specified in JaxRS. Those are the things having to do with deployment, having to do with the security uh, setup at the lower levels, all the uh, URLs, um, which you want to put security constraints on. All those things are not really defined by uh, JaxRS. So you still need something for that. And because um, of that, really, we thought uh, servlet is still the, the, the best way to go. No, um, I'm absolutely with you. So uh, you also need servlets. Know if you uh, if you would like, uh, for instance, what I'm interested in. So I'm just thinking the, the the time right now about that is um, to pushing in advance with HTTP two content to browsers. So this is your servlet um, three technology three, right? Servlet three with HTTP two support. So uh, no, that's servlet four. Four, exactly. Servlet four yeah. with HTTP two. And you could push in advanced uh, the uh, uh, the static contents to your to your browser, and you could use it even in development mode, where your runtime would recognize changes, you know, in in a file system and push them in advance to to the browser. So it could be actually an interesting interesting story. So something like browser sync from from uh, triggered by an application server, for instance. Yeah, so that's something that JSF uh, was using. So JSF to the tree was officially compatible with Servlet 3, mm-hmm. but it had a kind of hack into it, mm-hmm. uh, where it would also use Servlet 4 HTTP push. Uh, so then it could indeed uh, push uh, resources that the server saw that the page, the view was going to use, and it could push them in advance to the client indeed. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, um. So, are you planning to 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 have the entire runtime? So, like um, Jakarta E compatible, or what's your plan? Yeah. So the idea is indeed to be uh, Jakarta compatible at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, for Jakarta E nine, some of the more problematic things 
have been uh, pushed out of the platform, like uh, JSR88 was already optional, I think, uh, but JSR... Uh, this is deployment, uh, right? This is the deployment yeah. area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, one was the deployment, the other one was the um, management. I was mm-hmm. confused between the two, like and the number is hard to remember, but I think 88 was uh, the deployment stuff, yeah. and 77 mm-hmm. was the management stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so those things have been pushed out. Um, ECB has been simplified. Mm-hmm. So we're still not entirely sure what to do with ECB then. Uh, the, our plan was to essentially not implement ECB, um, but to move ahead uh, with the plans that are in Jakarta already. Mm-hmm. We base everything on CDI. So we're yeah. thinking about just uh, providing uh, the services that you would use with um, EGB, but then in CDI versions. So in uh, all my, my projects right now, what I can tell you what we are doing. So we're using uh, at Stateless as um, as performance optimization and convenience because at Stateless comes with uh, implied, you know, monitoring, pulling, and transactions. But uh, if you if you have the control over the runtime, you can replace at Stateless basically with a stereotype Let's call it stateless CDI stereotype with transactional request scoped. So the request scoped will be a little bit slower than EGBs, but it really depends on the runtime. So um, I would just support at stateless and um, if possible. And then uh, the next problem is going to be startup singletons I use a lot and schedulers. So this are this are this which most projects are using, and everything else is not that critical. Yeah. yeah, so we we had something like that when we started with our Sieve uh, uh, website. It was a long uh, time ago. It didn't went really far, but uh, we had that for some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the idea was as a Greenfield project to uh, not use EGB mm-hmm. and to immediately move everything to CDI services. Yeah, yeah you're right. So you, 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 this is actually the right direction. But uh, yeah, in, if you get your first clients or customers, the idea would be to provide like EGB compatibility layer, right? Where, yeah. yeah, yeah. so we had that. So Sieve was our own uh, website mm-hmm. that we started. Uh, I think we had a talk about that uh, back then, it was like in 2015 or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. So then um, we thought, okay, EGB is a bit in the history of things. Uh, let's start with CDI right away do everything in CDI, don't use ECB. Um, but we did need it to search services. So we uh, kind of implemented our own um, CDI compatibility layer uh, mm-hmm. for that. So we implemented things like at asynchronous in CDI, we implemented uh, a kind of a pooling for beans. And this was actually meant at the time to be pushed or to proposed for uh, Java EE 8 mm-hmm. at the time. But then like everything went, uh, um, went closing, but basically, uh, how do you see that is? Uh, things were like uh, going down. It was difficult to contribute those things. Uh, yeah, this was like this, the, um, the time where, you know, Oracle became a little bit stale or lazy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, oh. MicroProfess started. Yes. And and um, about MicroProfess, so are you planning to support all the small RAI uh, uh, MicroProfile uh, implementation or, or what's your plan? Yeah, so we're uh, planning on doing that as well. 
so we just uh, the other month had um, a JWT compatibility. So we actually run the TCK against uh, Pira and Yenit past. So that was quite quite interesting as well. Mm-hmm. And for JWT, uh, we took essentially the uh, Piara implementation mm-hmm. and uh, modified it a little bit to be standalone, mm-hmm. which was actually funny in my case since I implemented that one for uh, Piara. Yeah, yeah. and they well documented yeah. it in some blog posts. So, yeah. Yeah, so it was um, essentially the code is uh, copyrighted to uh, Piara, of course, mm-hmm. but then it's still uh, my own code, so I know everything about it. So we took that implementation of worked it to OmniFaces mm-hmm. and then uh, modified it a little bit to be standalone mm-hmm. usable in uh, Piranha. What's the ref- uh, what is the uh, relation between OmniFaces and Piranha? Yeah, so <clears throat> essentially, we um, there are mostly the same people uh, behind it. Uh, mm-hmm. So, for a moment, we thought to uh, put um, Piranha beneath the OmniFaces organization, um, but then at some point we thought, okay, well, it's maybe it's more a standalone thing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Because if, from... if if someone you know uh, mentions OmniFaces, I always thinking about you know the uh, let's say the killer utilities for GSF, and if you would start yeah. you know your own cloud server from OmniFaces, many I already know many people won't like the idea because uh, people essentially there there are developers who really hate GSF Java server faces, and this is a fact. So I wouldn't associate you know Piranha with OmniFaces in in yeah. This is, would be my, you know, strategy. Yeah, so that was a bit of our uh, reasoning as well. So we made uh, Piranha a top-level thing, and that put, put it under the OmniFaces brand. And essentially, we did put some of the components, like the Ilias library I mentioned. Mm-hmm. We put that one on OmniFaces. Uh, so OmniFaces is at the moment uh, more than just Java server faces. It has separate libraries for security um, or um, a JPA. So, but there's still the historical connection with JSF, of course, and it's in the name OmniFaces, uh, referring to uh, Java server faces, of course. So that's a bit of the a struggle with the, uh, with the current, uh, really. Yeah, it's exactly my case. You know, uh, I I really like EJBs because they were fast. But if I mention EJBs or enterprise, people always thought about you know XDocLet and CMP container managed persistence or bin managed persistence twenty years ago, which I actually never meant. So um, I think wording, you know, marketing and slides are very important uh, actually. Yeah. So it should Indeed. we shouldn't underestimate that. This is also what I learned. For instance, I talked uh, the entire time. You know about application servers. And I had a, a podcast episode, and I found it out, it was uh, number 29, with Bruno Borges. And and uh, Bruno always mentioned runtimes, and I always talk about servers. And also there is in the uh, mailing list from Jakarta at the beginning, someone you know asked, should we you know rename uh, like servers to runtimes? And I say, who cares you know, how it is called? Because for me, a runtime is a server because, I mean, the runtime serves something, but... If you think about this, what server implies is that a server 
supports shared deployments because it usually serves more than one app. It's, it serves yeah, multiple indeed. things. And runtime implies one-to-one relation, what I actually did the whole time. So I don't know, I, I, my, I, just, I just did some research. My first blog post, I think, was like 2011 or 12. Like I said, one war, one application server, you know, one microservice. And uh, so it was always one-to-one on, I, I, yeah, it was always one-to-one in all all projects I was associated uh, in the in the recent years. So all the Payara projects and even Glassfish v3 and even Glassfish v2, there was one-to-one relation between the server and the application. And then, uh, no, we shouldn't call it server anymore. It is actually a runtime. So, you know, it started as a server, but it became a runtime, right? Yeah, so that's a really funny observation indeed. And we actually used um, the exact same thing. We used uh, Java EE as a library almost. We had this exact same policy of a one-to-one yeah. relation between the application and mm-hmm. the server. And at the time, people were complaining about certain things in Java EE, like uh, a class leaks, uh, class loader leaks, um, um, uh, security between the separate applications. And Basically, in our case, if you um, have this one-to-one association between the server and the application, all of those problems just go away. Yeah, like exactly. People also mentioned at the time that you couldn't upgrade uh, JSF, for example, in the server mm-hmm. because um, other applications might be using uh, JSF and they would become instable or uh, things would go wrong if one application needed like say JSF one or two, and the other needed to do that all. But then we said, well, if you have this one-to-one relation between applications, you simply don't have this problem. You can just upgrade JSF at will. It doesn't matter really. Yeah, and people, if I mention it, say, yeah, but we have one-to-one relation because the server is not capable to handle more. And this is not true. It's what happened in the recent years. And in my world, it already kept, happened with Glassfish v2. Um, the server became so fast and so small, so that the optimization, you know, to starting one server and shipping multiple wars to a single didn't make any economical sense anymore, because you could, you know, save per microservice, let's say, sixty or let's say two hundred megs. Let's say it's two hundred megabyte of RAM. But if you uh, a mid-range project has, let's say, 20, 30 microservices, so you will waste 6 to 10 gigs of RAM, which is actually for, for an enterprise company is, is nothing, So if you think about this. And even if you are a startup, you can absolutely pay it. It's not like, you know, you will, you will lose, you know, hundreds of euros per month uh, because we are using application server. It's actually, we did the math multiple times, and this is a... A, a very small amount of money, which actually, which you can save with, uh, with shared deployments. So, and therefore, because it didn't make sense and you get a lot of benefits. So we just did it, right? Yeah, indeed. So like even with the smallest uh, startups, uh, we were basically always able to have uh, this one-to-one relationship. Uh, I think only like one case where they had a server that was like really over proficient, that fairly small server running like eight or 10 uh, virtual servers on them um, to create another virtual server on them for for a small application. Uh, That was a bit too much for them. I think in all those years, it was like one of the only occasions where we ever run separate applications on a single application server. Mm -hmm. But 
in most uh, normal cases, it's like always one server, one application, and one uh, virtual server, really. So. Yeah, and this is why I also talk now about runtimes, actually, because there's no more no more servers. And the funniest thing is, it I what I remember is a is a project in Switzerland, and why I, rem I don't know why I remember because it was crazy. This was there was a I don't know when was the time frame, but I assume like around 2009 to 2013 probably, but there was like lightweight runtimes. And what people meant is they used Tomcat or Jetty and it was a, a and, and then they sh they packaged everything to a war and shipped their war uh, to to uh, to Tomcat. And in this particular case, the the Tomcat was like uh, 10 megs on disk. And the war, I actually forgot, was either 50 max, but I think it was a half a gig, 500 max, because 50 max oh, would yeah. be nothing, nothing special. And and this, if you think about this, I mean, then you save nothing, right? Because uh, uh, if, yeah. if you would ship multiple wars to a Tomcat, it it it, it this doesn't doesn't make any sense at all, right? No, indeed, and it's just it's almost like you're shipping the entire server, the entire runtime, yeah, uh, the libraries within the bar, yeah, essentially. Uh, yeah. A question. Um, hopefully, uh, I get the run right answer. I uh, will. Will you also separate the runtime from my war? So, if I will ship, you know, my application to Piranha, is there any chance, you know, to keep separated you the Piranha from my code, or will I have to you, to package everything to a fed jar, fed war, or something uber fed or whatever it is called? Uh, no. So, like uh, the idea would be that we have um, essentially multiple. Uh, versions of uh, Piranha. Mm -hmm. So there's Piranha Nano, there's Piranha Micro, uh, there's Piranha Surfer. So go, go through this. And, what is the Nano? Yeah, so a Nano is essentially um, the original Piranha. So that's just the um, unit test framework-like thing. Okay. So you don't have the Surfer, there's no HTTP connected running there's no deployment there's no, no nothing you essentially just have um java ee or soon jakarta ee as a library so you just um instantiate an http service request as an object uh, but this is great so w this is like uh helidon what they are doing so you can create your own main method and then you c i can just use you know piranha nano and boot everything by myself yeah, so it's uh, it's the lowest level of things. So you need to instantiate everything. You don't have any annotation scanning. You don't have any uh, deployment. There's no HTTP connector. So it's indeed it's just a main uh, method mm -hmm. where you instantiate and configure what you need uh, programmatically. And then you just uh, run it. So indeed, it's a bit like Helidon SE. Uh, but then for a um, Jakarta Java EE. Wait a second. Uh, sorry for the interruption, but I already know some use cases for me of that. And what I do a lot is uh, I write a small so command line interface tools. Sometimes are just like a bed jobs and sometimes are runtimes. Some are runtimes. So, um, for instance, what and a Jotonizer, what I created, I just created just for was plain um, SE because, um, yeah, I wanted to have a jar, executable jar at the end. But um, what I always missed is a little bit more infrastructure, like a little bit, you know, CDI would be nice, so I don't have to write the constructors. 
And uh, a config uh, configuration would be also nice where I could, for instance, uh, convert uh, the arguments for from the main method into config properties, as injectable config properties. So actually, I could use uh, Piranha Na uh, Nano for that, right? Yeah, indeed. So that's the idea. So the entire uh, programming model itself is not uh, new, of course. It exists in uh, many frameworks. Yeah, but the programming uh, model is hopefully um, microprofile in Jakarta related, not that you are invented, you know, injection annotations, right? No, no. No, very good. Uh, so that's indeed the main uh, difference or the major new thing here. It's essentially that uh, Java SE programming model, but then applied to uh, Java EE and uh, microprofile. So that's the idea behind Piranha uh, Nano. And this is already usable, so can I just start it right now? Um, at, at the moment, it's it's not super usable for external users. Okay. Uh, so we know exactly what we do, exactly what we need, uh, but it's still very much in uh, development. So if you would start looking at, at it now as a new user, intending just to use the technology and not to uh, contribute to it, um to probably not be uh, that usable yet uh so we think we still have a couple of months to go before it's like really open to uh external users to use in their uh, projects mm -hmm. okay so is that what is the next level so we have the nano level and then the next yeah so the next uh, level is essentially uh piano micro very mm -hmm. uh, pp uh, piranha micro I'm still mm -hmm. Too much thinking about PR sometimes. Uh, so it's um, uh, Piranha Micro. And uh, Piranha Micro is essentially um, a full server thing. So it has um, an HTTP server running. It has. Um, That's your server, right? Yeah, so it's the smallest server that we have. Uh, yeah, but this is the, what you've wrote from scratch, right? So it's the, your HTTP yeah. servlet implementation. Yeah, so it's the HTTP servlet implementation. It uses uh, Hetty or um, something else for the HTTP uh, low-level things. Mm -hmm. And um, it has this concept of a deployment, but it can only run uh, one application. So it has no... Um, features for running multiple applications. You can't uh, undeploy. So it's basically run a single uh, WAR file. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, it, it's not like a full server, but it's like a small mini server, micro server, just to run a single VAR application. And uh, the special thing that we have in uh, Piranha Micro is to um, load all the jars that it needs uh, directly in the memory and also run the uh, jar files uh, with a class loader from the memory. Mm -hmm. So a lot of other runtimes here, uh, things like Spring Boot, uh, things like uh, Piara Micro, they, like I mentioned be before, they unpack the jar files that they need to attempt folder mm -hmm. and then point a uh, URL class loader at them. Mm -hmm. And in our case, you run them directly from memory. 
So you load the, uh, so you have like a virtual file system or something, or you you load the jars into memory and then you read from memory, right? Yeah. So we have a special uh, class loader, mm -hmm. and it um, runs everything from memory. And there's a special uh, plugin for CDI, which does the scanning for annotations, and it um, is also capable of uh, the Detecting these from the jar files, which are in memory. What would be cool is uh, you, you are you are writing your own class loader, so you could actually expose Prometheus metrics to to, to see you know how many infrastructure code was loaded on how much how how many uh, how how many jars words or bytes were loaded from 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 the application, and to to find the metric because it could be really interesting. Yeah, so there are some options there which we haven't explored yet. Mm -hmm. uh, but essentially we're having like a small isolated class loader. So it's mm -hmm. not that big. It's not like OSGI level big. Uh, but yeah, you could intercept a couple of those uh, things. Yeah, because you and, are reading from your from, from your own space. So you could just expose metrics, you know, uh, 20 megs loaded f uh, from war and, you know, uh, 500k loaded from our uh, Piranha implementation. So this could be the idea. Yeah, and the... Other and nice thing about that is that and sorry and what you could also do this will be more interesting you know okay. uh, bytes per second so how fast was the loaded so you could recognize that you had no a small a slow hard disk yeah you could do things like that I guess. virus scanner uh, detector you know it's okay uh, you yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wrong. yeah yeah so cool. the other the thing there is that for the uh, loading of the jars um, we actually use um, the shrink wrap. Um, Haven plugin, mm -hmm. so to speak. So like all the jars are uh, loaded via, uh, via Maven, essentially, mm -hmm. uh, which I think none of the servers has uh, done before. Uh, so it has no co concept of a disk. It has no concept of a network. It just goes to the um, Maven API ah. and says, uh, give me the jars that I want. And then find the Maven configuration, you can point it to the disk or you can point it to your own access or they can come from Maven Central. So it really has no concept of a file system or anything. It happens, so if you install the runtime, so if you ship it in Docker container, so you will have to preload the jars somehow because you cannot expect that, you know, I will always op make the port open to fetch the jars. So what's the idea if you run it in Docker container? Yeah, so you can, of course, always uh, point it uh, to an existing Maven repo. Uh -huh. This could be just a local thing yeah. on your file system. Mm -hmm. So if you would ship it in a, in a Docker container, which is, of course, a prime uh, use case these days, uh, then you would essentially have this um, this local Maven repo in your the Docker container, mm -hmm. which happens to be on the file system then. Oh, so we can put it to the base image, actually. So we can prepare... A, this is actually nice. So what we could do, we could have a Docker build, and in the base image, I could run a Maven, which fetches all the dependencies I need in advance, creates in M2 repository, and the uh, you know our Piranha image inherits from the base image, and there is already everything there. Yeah, indeed. So that would be the idea. Uh, so you can... Indeed, you can put the M2 into your base image. Uh, so that would be the the docker use case um 
on your uh, local computer, you could just uh, fetch everything uh, live. Mm-hmm. So you ship a tiny, tiny, small uh, runtime, which is essentially just a few classes. Mm-hmm. And it uh, fetches everything from uh, Maven. But if you're in development, it would fetch the things from your uh, local M2. Mm-hmm. And you're quite flexible in configuring uh, where exactly it gets things from. But if you uh, don't want to be uh, flexible, uh, and just okay, just get them from uh, wherever you can. There's always the Mavis Central fallback. Yeah, but it's actually and a good all- idea because uh, so if I'm very, so if I so I'm loading uh, the my project into let's say NetBeans and I and I start Maven. So it downloads everything in M2, and then if I start a server, it already has everything, right? So I only have to you know to to use the uh, Maven conventions or share the settings XML, and uh, it will work out of the box. Yeah, so that's indeed the idea. So you would only sh- uh, ship a tiny small runtime, uh, and then it could like fetch everything from Maven Central, and you would have everything out of the out of the box still. So um, you have probably some some numbers already. So if I have you know, a, a simplistic application, like say JaxOS, with uh, uh, two injection points and uh, let's say one interceptor, uh, how fast does Piranha boot? So how fast is it? Yeah, so there's um, essentially in that sense, uh, depending on which version you use, there's no boot time. So with Piranum, uh, Piranha. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... I would want to say if you would use uh, Pijara, not the Piranha, but the Pijara, mm-hmm. it would do a full uh, boot of things with uh, Piranha. You would um, not really boot with uh, Piranha Micro. So you would still um, have all the libraries there, but uh, the boot process, like uh, reading, XML files, reading configuration files, uh, that would not be really there. So you set even that part. Um, with uh, Piranha and Nano, you would have uh, not even the configuration um, at the time that's spent on reading the XML files from the application, since you would assemble them all uh, programmatically. So a lot of things that uh, normally happens during uh, boot in uh, Cloudfly and uh, Piranha, all those things would uh, not happen. Um, but still, yeah. But at one point of time, you have to know the metadata. So if I hit the server the first time, you will have to read the metadata in order to know route the request to the proper path, right? Yeah. So in uh, Piranha Nano, all those things would be configured uh, programmatically. So ah, you would okay. Them up in advance, which um, at the one hand means you have more overhead in starting your code. So it's, uh, you could say it's less uh, productive because you have to set all the routes, set all the metadata. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you have to set them programmatically. But that's a bit more work for the def- for the developer. But there's no scanning going on. There's no uh, XML files that needs to be parsed. It's just a small amount of code where you set other things that uh, runs. But what you could and do, actually, sorry, uh, just a, just an idea. What you could do, because we know the conventions from uh, Microprofile and Jakarta, 
we could start Nano first uh, with a little bit overhead, and uh, it will you could have a, have external tool which will generate the code you mentioned right now. You know the, the routing configurations so forth, because uh, all the application servers know that actually it's not like you have to configure it. This is the the well known convention, and because you don't like to scan, we can have you know like a learning mode where. You start Nano in learning mode, it scans everything, and then it generates bytecode, and the bytecode is the metadata you mentioned. And then the next time, it just loads the metadata and should be fast, right? Yeah, so uh, it's a bit like how Brian uh, and Micro works, uh, not exactly with the learning mode, but it um, uses the same API that Brian uh, Nano has, but then it does do some of that uh, scanning in the application. Mm -hmm. So they essentially build on top of each other and uh, micro builds on Nano mm -hmm. and they use the same API. So all the uh, things which are in other servers, um, internal APIs mm -hmm. to uh, that the things that result from uh, web XML scanning, from annotation scanning, all those things are the uh, public APIs from uh, Piranha Nano. Okay, so this uh, Piranha Micro is like Nano with the learning mode or, or applied conventions, right? Yeah, so a bit like that, the applied conventions, yeah. So it does all the scanning, it does the um, uh, web XML loading, and it converts all those things in uh, metadata indeed, and then it calls the same APIs that you would also use uh, yourself you're just using a nano uh, directly. So what what you could do in future if you have time, so you could do something what Corcus does, that you can optimize everything at build time and then ship with you no know, static dependencies, right? Would be also thinkable. Yeah, so we were already thinking about that indeed, uh, but that's of course also a lot of work still, and we still yeah, sure, but it's just possible. This. So this could be like yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of things uh, we could do. And of course, there's only so much time that you have. And it's also for uh, both of us now. So I'm, we work on this together with Manfred Riem. Oh, perfect. This is the MVC guy. Yeah, so he's uh, he's previously the MVC guy. He works he worked on JSF as well. Mm -hmm. He was the uh, JSF Coco spec lead for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, the more implementation guy as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we're working on this uh, together. Cool. Uh, but for both of us, it's an after-work thing. So there's the day job, and then we get home. Or in my case, uh, when we work from home, it's like customers that are done, and then we move to my own project. Yeah, there's where you spend, you know, eight hours at your work, and you're not that productive, and then, you know, the two hours at night, you are hyper-productive, right? Yes, yes. Exactly. <laughs> your no, clients are not listening, so... Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But that's a bit the thing. But then you still have the experience from the day job where you um, run into certain issues. And then you think, hey, this would be quite easy if I could do uh, this or if I could do that. And then like all the things you learn in the, the day job or all the issues that you encounter, those are the, insp those are the inspirations for... Uh, your own uh, framework. Yeah, and and time is actually a strange thing. So what uh, happened to me multiple times, like, you know, um, I'm, I'm holding the projects at night, I fly somewhere to a conference or whatever, and, and then I just spent uh, a few hours in the airplane and in the hotel, 
and then I'm hyperproductive for other reasons. Probably yeah, because yeah. because you know you know this is dead time. There is nothing else to do, and now let's do it. And uh, if I'm at home, so you already think you know it's probably not a very good idea to focus too much on the nice project, you know, because you have also you know to document stuff or answer emails or whatever. And and this is uh, so this is I mean after work could also mean you know this is your the new big thing because uh, all you know there there are lots of stories where like you know pet projects became the main thing so it's not like something uncommon. Yeah, so that essentially happened with um, Soteria, essentially. So Soteria was essentially based on omnisecurity, and omnisecurity was the thing that uh, we basically learned when we had to add security to deceive a web website. Mm -hmm. And then all those things I encountered, all those things I went into, I put into the omnisecurity uh, framework. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and now it is like you know all major companies are running your code actually, your idea. So it's remarkable. Yeah, that's quite remarkable indeed. So I even saw the other day that uh, Tmax stuff, uh, which uh, makes this uh, this uh, Korean mm -hmm. application server, they use Ethereum as well. So I was like, hey, the it's essentially the uh, the national server of South Korea is running Mac code as well. I was like, hey, cool. So your Soteria code, this is the Java 8 security uh, extension, and it is an old project, you know. We have uh, OAuth uh, uh, and uh, JSON Web Token and custom, you know, author authorizations, and your code is always, you know, mentioned indirectly because we have to use it or extend it or whatever. So I think this is one of the major contributions to Java 8, actually. Yeah, so th this was... Actually, quite a uh, cool thing. Of course, there's contributions by other people as well, um, but it's largely based on Omni security. Mm -hmm. uh, so it has all the same patterns, all the same ideas. Um, and it's, like I said, it's quite um, based on real uh, practical application development. Uh, at the time that we were building uh, Soteria, actually, used the alpha versions, the beta versions in real applications. Mm -hmm. I could like feedback immediately what the real application and needed and back into spec and into Soteria. Yeah, we, we, we uh, talk about that uh, in the episode 24, Java E8 authentication and authorization. And by the way, do you know when it was? When we the last time met and talk about uh, security? Uh, the last time we talked about security was like, I think a year ago. Yeah, right? exactly. It was exactly one year ago. So it was amazing yes. how yeah. time flies. Uh-huh. Indeed. Yeah. So then I was still in the UK and we had to one hour time, uh, the difference. Yeah. And where are you now in the uh, Netherlands? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm now in Holland in the Netherlands. Hey, cool. And, uh, so we, we discussed the micro, so uh, micro uses nano and what is the next level macro? Uh, yeah. So we. I thought a lot about the name. Uh, macro indeed uh, came up. <laughs> this and, would be a this would be a bad idea, I think. Yeah, so that started a bit like it's like really big and really. Uh, mm -hmm. But then, eventually, we settled with the name uh, Surfer, uh, mm -hmm. and Surfer is essentially a micro, but then with the ability to deploy uh, multiple applications. Oh, okay, so like sidecars and whatever. Yeah, so that's um, 
which is essentially the thing that would be most uh, like a traditional application server. So and the, the name is great because this is actually the server. This is what we mentioned before. Mm -hmm. But yeah, still. so we were just thinking about this uh, nano, micro, indeed, macro, super. We were thinking about those names mm -hmm. and then essentially that okay well what is this thing okay this thing is a server and then okay let's just call it a server mm -hmm. um and so still you didn't answer the question so how fast it starts if it doesn't boot because how fast it becomes usable so let's say i i, I ship you know a jaxorized cdi applications with uh, five classes and uh micro profile metrics and uh if, if they are already supported in your case, how fast can I use the, the runtime? So how fast does it take until, you know, the live readiness probe says, yes, it's usable? Yeah, so with uh, Nano, I think it's like half a second in mm -hmm. the unit test case. Mm -hmm. uh, with uh, Micro, I don't know the numbers from the top of my head, so I have to recheck again. Uh, but I did see that when uh, running the entire uh, Java EE samples uh, directory, in this mm -hmm. case for a servlet, was uh, quite fast. Mm -hmm. um, and I have to think it was like two minutes or so for the entire thing where the other servers took like four minutes or something. But okay. I have to be checked. I don't know if it's up on the top of my head. Okay. And uh, still like that in the early phases of the project. Yeah, sure. Um, focusing a lot on implementing all the APIs and getting all the functions. Mm -hmm. so, but the, the major effort was the uh, serverless implementation, right? So um, this is where you spend the most time in hacking and implementing. Yeah, so the uh, two major areas uh, that I've been working on is indeed the servlet uh, case. So um, like getting like all the APIs uh, there. And implementing the security bits, which is the uh, own implementations of uh, Jack and Jaspic. What, what are the functional benefits? So I would assume you did something special with security. So if, what features do you provide beyond, you know, Jakarta and MicroProfile? Is this anything special you're thinking of or? Yeah, so uh, the one thing I mentioned before was like the uh, loading of the jars via Maven special thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is that the internal, which is also external uh, jar format is uh, Syrinc uh, wrap, so the one used by Achillean. Mm -hmm. So if you create all those jars uh, programmatically, you would use the exact same API that you also would use for Achillean. So that's a quite well-known API for people. Uh, so that's a bit of a special feature. Uh, the other thing is that for security, um, I think this is one of the first uh, runtimes that uh, doesn't layer uh, the Java EE, Jakarta EE uh, security APIs on top of an existing security framework, but it's, uh, you use them in the most uh, direct way. So it's like you have um, the uh, Jack and Jasper implementations on top of that uh, Soteria, and that's essentially the uh, native security system, while in things like uh, Wildfly, it's essentially layered on top of uh, the Lightrun, I think it's called. Um, in uh, Piara, it uses uh, Jack 
um, basically it native as well, but a jazz pick is an, is an, is layered on top of um, essentially Tomcat and classic security. You still have the realms, you still have um, all these underlying uh, bits. And in uh, Piranha, that's like really the most minimal interface beneath it. But there's no native security framework running. Mm-hmm. And um, also special there is that in all the other servers, the servlet uh, authentication mechanisms, which are the things like a form and basic, they have their own implementations. And then there's the the Jakarta implementations from uh, Jakarta Security. And those things are completely uh, unified within uh, Piranha. So if you would configure the Stiturflet uh, form authentication mechanism, you could get the exact same as when you configure uh, the Jakarta Security one. So what you could do, actually, you can use uh, the Piranha server as a gateway, which does, you know, the... Uh the flows for OAuth, so it will communicate with the backend, uh, let's say Keycloak, uh, you know, fetch the token, and then just uh, just uh, ex- exchange the token back and forth. So this could be this uh, think thinkable to do, right? So this would be actually yeah a huge deal for for enterprise companies actually. Yeah, you could do things like that, uh, and like I said, the entire security system is. Um, is quite is quite small in that sense. You don't have like multiple paths. You don't have uh, one security system layered on top of the other one. But this does make the entire thing a bit more uh, lean and more uh, flexible at the same yeah, time. Yeah, this was your this was your main goal in Java Eight security. You always tried, you know, to unify everything to one usable API. And now is you no know, the time to implement it from scratch, right? Yeah. So that's exactly the thing. Like in um, uh, Java EE 8, my focus was on making the API uh, consistent. So like one API, one entry point, one thing to run uh, and program things against. But then on the implementation side, in uh, Piara, in Wildfly, what have you, all the things are still like uh, connecting all the separate APIs that were there for a long time. So the separate service, uh, API, the separate APIs for EGB, for JuxRS, and then in uh, Piranha, it's also uh, unified um, as much as possible on the implementation side. So there's only the uh, Jakarta implementation libraries that take care of the security stuff, and there's no uh, connecting and no uh, layering on top of all those existing uh, systems. Mm-hmm. So... Um... Is there anything interesting which we left from Piranha Cloud? Um, we forgot to mention. Think, or? Yeah, the the uh, thing is, of course, the the main thing uh, that we recognize the fact that the application server as itself is still uh, usable. So we do offer that. We're going to offer that, but there's also a lot of cases where uh, bits and pieces of the application server have been replaced by other things. Uh, so the, the um, if you use a Docker container, if you use a Kubernetes, you don't need so much the uh, deployment story. If you use um, a Docker, then also not 
always needed to have the HTTP uh, connector running. If you use uh, things like Azure functions, for example, you don't need the HTTP connectors all. So the idea is to, to uh, remove, to slice off all the things that you don't need from a, t a traditional application server. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you do need things and then you can uh, use them, but you don't have to use them. They don't come uh, packaged if you don't want them. So, so what you, in future, you could directly consume cloud events and convert them into whatever you like and provide such integrations, right? Yeah, so we have an example out that was just uh, blocked about by Manfred the other day where he uses uh, Piranha as an Azure function. Okay. And then he uses it with uh, Piranha Nano. So then it's you don't need the HTTP stuff because that comes in from Azure. Mm -hmm. And Azure just calls the function and the function then um, in his it's the servlet uh, stuff mm -hmm. that's uh, going to be used, but you don't need deployment, you don't need HTTP, you don't need anything uh, traditional application server-like. You just need the bare uh, Java, Jakarta, EE functionality. Yeah, great. So this is what I also played a little bit just for fun, you know, with FN project. So they have like uh, external... Uh, I think output event, input event and output event and something like this. And you get then, you know, the access to the streams. And I just immediately thought about, you know, implementing CDI adapter, which actually worked. So I had a, a CDI dependency injection from uh, in FN project, but I had to write it by myself. In this particular case, I would just use Piranha Nano and do the same, right? Yeah, indeed. So that would be the idea. Uh... What is the called startup? So it is still great to say uh, it is below one second, right? Yeah, so with Piranha uh, Nano, uh, mm -hmm. depending, of course, uh, which uh, components you use, they might have their own in it uh, things to do. Like if you what, what, what I will do in your case, because you are building everything from scratch and you have your class loader, I would also provide statistics, metrics, uh, open, uh, so, um, open metrics, so microprofile metrics, which component loaded how fast. Because you yeah, know that. So that mm -hmm. Yeah, so that would be in uh, Piranha Micro. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's the one on class loader. But then for a Nano, it's just a complete a flat class loader. So yeah, but for Micro, you can do this. So you say, hey, look, we booted in one second, and the problem was, you know, the slowest library was this. Yeah. So that's indeed that maybe hasn't been mentioned uh, too much yet. But then... <laughs> The major difference between uh, Micro and Nano is also that uh, Nano uses all the libraries that you already have on your class path. Mm -hmm. So if you just start a main function and you're like in a behavior project and you have like all those uh, dependencies, then uh, Nano is essentially just a, li a library. It would use all the things that you have on the class path. Mm -hmm. Well, if you start a Micro, it's like a small uh, mini uh, isolated environment yeah. that you have. Because you have your own class loader, right? Yeah, you have your own class loader and it's uh, mostly or even if you want to completely isolate it from the code that starts uh, that thing. Mm -hmm. And then, then it uses a maven to get the jars into that isolated environment. Yeah, cool. So we covered the entire Piranha, right? 
Yeah, so but what's there at the moment? Uh, like I said, it's uh, still a fairly young project. So the proper uh, Piranha Cloud started for like a few months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the project itself, like just the unit testing, goes back to like two, two and a half years. Cool. And people can hire you for Java E and MicroProfile Jakarta E consulting because you are a freelancer yeah. as I am. And, yeah, yeah, that's that's true. And I assume the best possible case would be if someone will hire you full time to implement, you know, some improved security implement application from scratch, and you are allowed to use Piranha Cloud, right? This would be the dream. Yeah, yeah, of course. So that would be. So at the moment, um, I was talking with one or two customers um, might want to use it for an internal project. But because it's still so young, it's uh, it's not really public facing at the moment. But there's there's some movement into using this uh, Piranha as an uh, an actual customer site. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, it hasn't happened yet. So that it's no, still but... something that's a few months into the future. But after the podcast, you know, you get a lot of requests. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, so. The, Indeed, as a consultant, you're always lo- looking for uh, new opportunities. Yeah. Um, that, that's always welcome, of course. The, the question uh, regarding micro, but the micro is very usable, right? So the listeners can just download the micro and just deploy Hello World and it should work. Um, more or less. So at the moment, um, micro has mostly been implemented as an Achillean connector. Mm-hmm. And that was my first... Uh, move since I wanted to run the Java EE samples against it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the complete standalone command line thing is still uh, not there. So I have it on my local system, mm-hmm. but it hasn't been uh, committed and published uh, yet. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, people, the easiest thing to use uh, Piranha Micro is via the Achillean uh, connector. Okay. And uh, what is the URL? So do you have your Piranha.cloud already? Reserved? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that's, cool. the exa- that's the exact uh, URL, uh, piranha.cloud. And where people can find you the easiest. So you are at Aryan underscore teams, right? Is this pronounced correctly? Uh, yeah. I forgot it. Aryan still? or? Uh, yeah, it's uh, Aryan mm-hmm. times. Times, times, exactly. This is yeah, so A-R-J-A-N underscore T-I-J-M-S. J- oh, Thai JMS. So... Yeah, <laughs> so now it's uh, it's pronounced a little, a little like a Times, like in the New York uh, Times. Yeah, Aryan Times. But then slightly in a Dutch way, so Times. Times, very good. And um, this is the and this is your main and OmniFaces probably. If someone pings OmniFaces, it will probably, you know, uh, bump to you, right? Yeah, so indeed, I'm reachable by the OmniFaces alias on uh, Twitter. Mm-hmm. The Orient Times one, uh, look at them both. And now we have the uh, Piranha one as well to look at. Yeah, cool. And uh, is Piranha Cloud a Twitter? Uh, yeah, so it says Twitter account too. And that's essentially just uh, Piranha underscore cloud. Cool. Perfect. So uh, thank you for coming back. It was really nice to chat with you again. And this is extremely interesting project. So I'm really glad something happens you know, in Jakarta in MicroProfess space. And right now happens a lot, actually. Yeah, thank you very much. So yeah, it's still, like I said, it's a project that's working in uh, progress. 
and we hope to take it a lot further over the coming months and it's going to be quite interesting really okay thank you and bye all right thank you very much bye bye